I feel like we were living like teenagers for a long, you know, our income was decent. So we had the house, but we were just spending money, no real plan, no real, you know, we never sat down and said, where are we, what are we going to do when we're in our sixties? What is our retirement going to look like? Or how are we going to fund these college for the kids? I mean, it would come up and it would be uncomfortable. So we just wouldn't talk about it sort of just, you know, push it to the back and we'll deal with it later. Dave Ramsey's course, besides the accountability, it really helped us get a lot of other things in order. You know, we, we went and did life insurance. We went and did a will. And we really started to try to plan what, what our next was going to be once we were done working. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Okay, welcome back. Episode 184 of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. Jace, what's going on? You know, not a whole lot, man. What's going on with you? (laughs) Well, we got some good news today because for the last week or two here, week or so, our new ep- our new uh, website has been up and running. So check it out, millionairesunveiled.com. And just to walk through a little bit here on what's available because there's some new stuff. So the podcast, if you go to the podcast tab at the top and click on an episode, there's a Q&A or not really a Q&A, but a comment section at the bottom of each episode. So sometimes we'll get people writing in with questions that they want to ask the millionaires or a follow-up to a question that we asked during the show. So we've taken that interaction now right to the millionaire. So we'll let each of our millionaires know that these comments and questions will be coming through this platform. And some of them will respond, I'm sure, and some of them may not. But just a a heads up that that comment section is there. So again, just click on podcast off the main page, click on the episode. And at the bottom of that episode, there'll be a comment section and the millionaire can choose to reply to those. Uh, If you ask a question or have a comment about the specific episode, we'll let our previous millionaires know, but just know that this is probably something that will be enhanced or a little bit more productive going forward on the new episodes that we do launch. Also, there's a tab called Ask a Millionaire. So if there's a question you have, you can send in a question just either written via email or via a recording. So a voice recording, you can record your question. And if you do that and it's a good question, we'll just play it right into the podcast and just include that for the millionaire. Then they can answer right back and and maybe we'll play it on a couple of the episodes so that you can kind of get a different perspective. So that's a neat feature there. Under the resources tab, featured podcasts is any uh, interviews that we've been on. So occasionally we get asked for those or lessons learned. So those featured podcasts are podcasts that we've been on where that's what we've talked about. Recommendations are the top recommendations that our millionaires have had. Right now we just have books up there, but there'll be more to add. Uh, And then there's also a a tab for investing with us in multifamily and commercial opportunities. And also if you'd like to be on the show and then a media kit for potential advertisers. So glad to have that up after some time. And and I think that we're really excited about the engagement, right, Jace, between millionaires and, and some of the listeners on any of the questions that maybe we didn't ask or stuff that they wanted to follow up on. Yeah, totally. I'm super excited. I mean, obviously, we've been at this for a long time. I know we talked about it. Yeah, you know, it's been a couple of years that we started getting this in the works, and then we kept changing what we wanted and features and transcript or that, and, uh, you know, went back and forth for a long time. And obviously, with, with COVID, you know, some things got delayed and whatnot. So, super happy to ha- finally have it up. I think it'll be really good for our listeners and engagement and 
you know, millionaires and d- definitely really bringing some of these conversations, uh, you know, together for people that to have with each other and then really bringing some more awareness and, you know, learning from each other. So I'm super excited about it. It's been a, a really long uh, time coming for sure. So super happy to have it up and launched and hope you all like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now everybody can see how good looking Jace is too, because his picture is right on the front of the landing page. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing go. it took it a few years ago. Or I had a couple of kids, right? <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> After you put on 50 pounds? Nah, man. I'm not doing yeah. that. I wish. I wish I could bulk up a little bit. But All right. Quick uh, recap from last week. We had Rachel Cruz on the show. We talked about what it was like growing up with Dave Ramsey. Obviously, Rachel's been successful herself. She came out with a new book, Know Your... So we talk about that and also some money personality. So fun interview with Rachel Cruz. This week's episode, we have Ron. Ron works in IT. He's targeting retirement about 60 years old, has a current net worth of about $1.3 million. Uh, just under a million of that is in investments, primarily retirement accounts. $800,000 uh, is in his 401k, so $800,000 of the $1.3. He also has $300,000 in home equity. We talk about some mistakes and lessons learned. One of the things he mentioned is not doing a Roth earlier. So a good discussion on that point and and one we should probably have more on the show. So good interview with Ron this week, fun interview with Rachel Cruz last week. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com, or you can just go to our website under resources and there's a tab you can fill out there that will be right to our inbox. If you're interested in investing in multifamily opportunities, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Same email address. If you have a deal that you'd like to share and we end up buying it, we'll send you a finder's fee. So always looking for good deals. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. We appreciate everybody who's left a solid review. If you do enjoy the show, we just ask that you help spread it around and it, it helps us grow the show and reach new millionaire interviewees. So thanks for tuning in. And without any further ado, let's get into today's conversation with Ron. Ron, you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm a father of two 16-year-old twins. My wife works for a health nonprofit here in Atlanta. Uh, we actually reside in Marietta, Georgia, suburb north of Atlanta. Uh, I am on a sort of retired hiatus, uh, waiting on employment to open back up uh, with COVID. Uh, I had a job offer that that went away. Um, I spent about 20 years at Verizon and took a uh, took a package to get out of there. Investment-wise, everything else, I mean, we, we've been targeting uh, retirement somewhere around 60, 62 years old. I don't know if this year is going to be a bump in the road in that or not. Uh, we have had to slow down investing a little. So, and what is your net worth today? Uh, about $1.35 million. Awesome. Congrats on being a millionaire. And how is that broken up? Uh, about 962k or so is uh, is investment accounts, um, some retirement uh, or some 401k, some 403b, and then an IRA. We've got a, a home with a net worth of about 450,000. Uh, still owe a bit on it, uh, around 100, 130, I think. And then you know just some cash reserves. And that's that's pretty much it. We don't have a lot of real estate investment or anything else. I'm not including. We do have my wife's mother passed away uh, last year. We do have her house uh, that was left with she owes nothing on it. It's probably worth about 150k. We don't include that in our in our uh, net worth calculation. How come you don't include that in there? Is that something that you've taken possession of, or it's got to get split with the family, or? Uh, well, right now her uh, her brother is still living in the house. Oh, okay. And because we because we are not really sure what's going to happen with that or what we're going to do with yeah, it. Yeah, makes uh, sense. We just yeah. My my uh, 
were in a similar situation too with my grandfather that had passed away and my dad and his brother and siblings and whatnot. Same same kind of deal. So I get that. Can you break out how much of that 960-ish is in retirement versus non-retirement or, or tax-protected accounts? Um, I would say probably about 800-ish is in uh, is in tax-protected, you know, 401k, 403b, or IRA. The rest is just some general investing accounts. Okay. And none of, none of the 800 is in Roth at all? It's all pre-tax? No, no, we didn't do any Roth. Okay. Regretfully. <laughs> How come you regret that? Uh, I, I think it would have been, you know, when we, I, I took a lump sum and we rolled that over into an IRA and I, I think I did the, you know, we kind of did the calculation. I think it would be nice to have that stuff growing, you know, pay the tax up front uh, and have that stuff growing and not have to worry about the paying the taxes down the road. Um, I, I felt like we were in a position, I mean, you know, with our age and, and where we are in our path, I think we just decided because we have so much and otherwise, you know, pre-tax savings that we would just stick that path uh, and not do the taxes. And then we thought we'd see what was going to happen this year. And then with COVID and with job change and everything else, we sort of just decided to hold the line for now. Interesting. Now, it's it's an interesting conversation because I think a lot of our guests and just people in, in finance in general have the debate of whether doing pre-tax or post-tax. You know, and everybody's like, well, you know, is your tax rate going to be higher in retirement? Are you going to live on more or not? And it's just always so, it's so hard to predict, but it's interesting to hear from somebody who hasn't put any in your Roth that, that you regret some of that decision. Well, I think like you're saying, yeah, the tax thing, I mean, that, that was part of the reason we looked at it. We thought, you know, by the time we're touching this money, what is our tax rate really going to be? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know what our income tax rate will be other than, you know, whatever we're taking on investments will probably be it. And if we're looking at a 50000 a year you know, draw or whatever it might be. Yeah, we just, we, we yeah, weren't you're sure set up we're really great closing. in that, right? Yeah. You know, it, you know, it's, it's hard to project. And it, I mean, for me personally, I've always just said, you know what, I want, I just want to have options down the road because who knows what the tax rate's going to be when I know what the tax rate is today. I don't know what it might be 20, 30 years from now. And so, but at any rate, for the majority of people, it's, you know, for the most part, it's probably, especially if you didn't really start in your 20s, if you kind of got started in your 30s, it's probably, you're probably better off doing a traditional in most most scenarios. So, and doing that pre-tax. But anyway, so, you know, before we started recording here, you mentioned that you, you have some set aside for, for your twins for education. How much is in those accounts again? Uh, right around 160-ish, 158, 160, something like that. Oh, wow. Um, and that was that was rolled over. That was part of a lump sum pension I took, rolled that into an IRA. Uh, we didn't start a 529 years ago. Uh, we didn't really have our house in order when, when the kids came along. And so when we looked at some stuff, we thought, well, we can tap, you know, we, we set up the IRA knowing we can uh, take out education-related expenses from that without penalty. And so that was sort of the decision was to put that into an IRA and, you know, kind of invest it somewhat conservatively. I mean, there's a bit of bond and a, and a bit of stock, stock in there to let it grow a little bit for the next couple of years. But we know we can, you know, take that money out without penalty, just pay the taxes on it then. And that's how we sort of decided to use that instead of trying to set up a 529 when we're only, a, you know, a year and a half, two years away from college. Interesting. So you just basically have that earmarked for education. Correct. Okay, got it. I mean, it is, it, it is set up as an IRA through Fidelity. But that's what it is. That's what we plan to use it for. Interesting. And is that something that that uh, you've shared with your twins, or is that just you have that in your head and that's what it's going to do? 
No, we shared it. We're pretty open with the kids, you know, about where the finances are, you know, and about what I think it's important for them to be realistic about what they're looking for for college. You know, it, it's fun to say, hey, I'm going to go to some liberal arts college out of state and pay, you know, 70 grand a year. But you want to give them a dose of reality that, you know, if that's your choice, <laughs> you're going to have to fund a lot of it. That's kind of the decision we made. And we talked to them when we included them in these conversations. And I think they're pretty on board with it. I see. So the money that you've got invested in retirement accounts, is that primarily in mutual funds, stocks, bonds, index funds? What's the makeup there? Uh, it, it's it's broken out. Um, a lot of the uh, 401k stuff, uh, I was able to sort of pick and choose through Fidelity. That's who carried a lot of this stuff. Uh, my wife has a 403b through Tia Kreft. So their options weren't quite as good as far as fees and, you know, tax sheltering, some of that stuff. So Fidelity, it's kind of broken out. Uh, a big chunk of that right now is an FSKAX, which is sort of a, what is that, like a 500 bond or whatever, or a 500 group where, you know, it's about 313K or so in there. It's it's sort of a VTSAX or, you know, if you're in Vanguard or something. So it's a similar thing. I've got about 75K in a bond fund, another 70K in, in another bond fund that was related to telecommunications or Verizon. And then there's a few other funds and, you know, emerging markets fund or a, a uh, international fund, sort of that kind of breakout, but pretty heavy and just, a, you know, a, a, a big index fund with low, right. low fee, low cost. Yeah. Has the allocation changed over time much? Uh, a little bit. And I don't know if we'll talk about this a little later, but, um, you know, how I manage that, we hooked up with a robo advisor two, three years ago. And it's sort of almost one of those targeted date funds where you say, I want to retire at X. And then they basically log on to your account and they can run all of the calculations and see, you know, return versus fees, cost, that sort of stuff. And so, you know, when I get the report from them, um, annually or a couple times a year, I can see that they're moving a little bit more into a bond. Um, and then with the volatility, you know, the market obviously is going crazy again after a big drop earlier this year. So I don't think that's impacted it as much as just sort of staying the line and working towards a, uh, a date where obviously you'll, you'll shift to being a little more conservative, a little more bond, uh, a little less risk. Go, let's go into it. I think it's interesting. Have you used a financial advisor besides that at all? Um, I, I, we have talked to, we started using personal capital to track net worth and to track a few other things. And then they had a pretty good savings plan that they set up last year. So I took a bit of a lump sum cash payment out, put it into savings to use as just, you know, sort of my income, uh, while I was waiting to see what was next. So when you, I guess when you get over, I don't know, 500, 750,000, something like that, personal capital offered offered a, a financial advisor to us at no fee to do an, a review. And then obviously they asked, you know, hey, we can manage everything for you. I don't remember what the fees were. Uh, but we did we did take advantage of their review. So I did have a couple of meetings with one of their advisors. He was able to get very granular as far as how things were broken out in, in our accounts, things he thought might need to, might need to change, uh, reallocate, things like that. So other than that, no, we, we were kind of <laughs> relying on uh, uh, just some seat of the pants stuff initially. And then as we got into using these robo advisors and doing a little more studying, we felt pretty comfortable with where we were. Yeah. And how long you said you mentioned you're using personal capital. How long have you been tracking your net worth? Oh, maybe a little less than two years. So, you know, maybe. I mean, you know, we would be aware so of what our, our 
Yeah, yeah, last couple of years. I mean, we knew where we wanted to get. You know, we went through the whole Dave Ramsey thing and tried to really get on top of things, on top of debt, that sort of stuff. A little later than we certainly should have, you know, probably into our 40s before we really tried to get a grip on things. And, and and we're not, I'm not a person that likes to log in there every day. I think I met you guys through a, a Facebook page where I had just posted my net worth. I saw some other people were posting. And honestly, I think it was the first time I had looked in, I don't know, probably not quite a year, but I would say six or eight months and just saw that, you know, we, we tipped over 1.2 million or whatever it was at the time. So I don't really track it or look at it. It, you know, it would drive me crazy, you know, so you, you'd go in one day and you'd see it would drop 30 grand or, you know, <laughs> gain 30 grand. And it was like, I, yeah. I'm not the kind of person that wants to look at that and get stressed about it. So it's yeah. just sort of set it and forget it, let it bubble. So speaking of personal capital and tracking net worth, do you budget? Uh, we do budget. We, uh, my wife is the queen of that. She is the spreadsheet queen. So she has a couple of things that she set up. And then we do a lot of budgeting through uh, an app called YNAB. You need a budget. Yeah, um, I have a good friend who loves that. Yeah, yeah, that she loves it. I mean, you know, being that's that's sort of her realm. Uh, that's what she does for a living. And, and so, yeah, so she she sort of manages that. So she, you know, she logs into personal capital, and it does do some breakout. I think she got a little nuts or frustrated by looking at a lot of the breakout they had as far as how they categorize expense, things like that, that didn't match up to personal or to YNAB. And yeah, so trying yeah. to, you know, yeah, trying to cross those T's and, and stuff, I think it drove her a little crazy. So we don't really use it for budgeting. You know, it gives you a general sense. If you use personal capital, you you know, you can see that, you know, you spend a hundred dollars on dinner and it might be categorized as home improvement or, you know, who it's, it, right. it's not, completely accurate it does seem like they're getting more accurate but there are some areas yeah, where I mean, we that's what's that's what's tough about all those right mint included. sure yeah you go to walmart and it's hard i mean how does it know what you bought at walmart right? <laughs> yeah well yeah my, my saturday morning with coffee the wife is like what is this what is 84 dollars at home depot is <laughs> <So, laughs> this you know so yeah how, how that gets categorized and it really depends on how granular you want to get with that yeah so, exactly. so just Reviewing your allocation here, you have about just north of 300 in your home equity, your primary home. Any other real estate investments? No. Okay. So now let's, I just want to, we talked about your allocation. Let's go back to your story a, a little bit. How did it all start? You mentioned Dave Ramsey. You did the Dave Ramsey thing. Did you have a lot of debt? Was it <coughs> student loans, cars? Um, What's your story? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, um, you know, we got married uh, mid nineties. Uh, you know, we're both uh, early 50. We got married mid nineties and just, you know, uh, I, I was a musician for a number of years. Uh, I took on a job through a, through a temp agency to just to get a uh, W2 so we could eventually buy a house. So in 1994, I took the job. Uh, 1996, we bought our first house. That house almost doubled in value in just a, a short number of years. We sold it and moved out. You know, that was more in town. We moved out to the suburbs just north of Atlanta. Uh, put a chunk down on the house we're currently in and we're just we're set here uh like a lot of people you know we just we would trickle some money into into uh retirement accounts into the 401k um really didn't think that much about it you know you're in your late 20s early 30s and you're not really spending you know at least for for us we weren't spending a lot of time thinking about that we would run up debt and we'd take a chunk and pay it off or we would borrow against our 401k or take money out stupidly you know, just just mistakes you made, uh, certainly before the Internet and some of these, you know, financial independence and, and, you know, Facebook groups and other places that that really did a lot to hold you accountable because of all that debt. And because of just just going through that cycle, we'd run up 25 grand worth of something on a credit card 
and then we'd have to struggle to pay it off or just not pay attention. And, you know, it, it sort of hit home at one point, you know, the kids had come along, we really tried to really look forward and say, how do we, how do we make a plan? How do we move forward with this? Uh, we went to a Dave Ramsey thing. And I think more than anything for us, the accountability, you know, sitting around a table in a church with, with these people asking every week, well, what did you do this week? Where are your credit cards this week? And, and doing the whole, you know, cut the credit cards up. Uh, we actually cut all, cut our credit cards up. We put them in a Christmas ornament, one of those little glass Christmas ornaments. <laughs> so we just, <laughs> we have it kind of sitting there just to remind us, you know, and you still um, do. Yeah. It's still, it's, I'm looking at it sitting above my desk. We hang it on the tree every year and then I have <laughs> it sitting over my desk, but it's just a reminder, you know, we, we don't need the debt. Uh, you know, if we can live on cash, that's what we do. Um, so that was a big change. Uh, and then the other thing from Dave Ramsey, you know, it just, it really felt like we were, after we went through that course, we, we felt a little more like grownups, right? I mean, I, I feel like we were living like teenagers for a long, you know, our income was decent. So we had the house, but we were just spending money, no real plan, no real, you know, we never sat down and said, where are we, what are we going to do when we're in our sixties? What is our retirement going to look like? Or how are we going to fund these college for the kids? I mean, it would come up and, it would be uncomfortable. So we just wouldn't talk about it sort of just, you know, push it to the back and we'll deal with it later. Dave Ramsey's course, uh, besides the accountability, it really helped us get a lot of other things in order. You know, we, we went and did life insurance. We went and did a will and we really started to try to plan what, what our next was going to be once we were done working. Uh, so we were able to scribble a date, uh, an age, I should say, uh, as far as when we wanted to stop working. Personally, I don't love working. <laughs> I mean, I you know, we're, I worked in IT for a long time. It was a lot of long hours, a lot of stress, stuff like that. My wife, on the other hand, she loves what she does. She works for a health nonprofit. She really feels like she's doing something for people, uh, which is kind of what I'm now seeking out. But the idea was maybe I would retire a little earlier. She might keep working if she liked what she was doing. Uh, but we would have the option to both just, you know, pull the plug. You know, we initially said 62. We tried to move that to 60. It's really going to depend on what the next year or two looks like. And how old were you, Ron, when um, I guess I'll just use the word transformation. But when you did this Dave Ramsey program, how old were you? Uh, I want to say probably 40 or, you know, it's probably 10 years ago. So around 40, maybe a little little better. And that's really when the investing started. Or or did you put money into like your work 401k before that? Yeah, we, you know, I was putting a little bit into 401k. You know, I, uh, I would. Once they had a website set up where you could go in and, <laughs> and change it, you know, it was like, oh, we need a little more cash next month. And I'd put a little less in. But, you know, after Dave Ramsey was like, you know, at the very least, you got to get that match. Uh, Verizon, uh, the company I worked for, had a, had a good match. Uh, so I took advantage of that. Uh, the wife did the same. When one would pull back on a match or whatever, we'd, we'd kind of go a little heavier on the other, uh, the other income. But that's when we were really, really started to pay attention to let that stuff grow. Uh, obviously, if we had started doing it in our 30s, uh, you know, we might be looking at, at at a retirement at 55 or something like that. Unfortunately, we started a little later, but I, I feel like we're pretty well on track now. Yeah, I mean, it's still amazing, right? Even if you got you think a little bit later start, you're almost at 1.5 million. You'll get over two here with, with how much you have in the market easily and significantly more than that, probably, right? We hope. <laughs> yeah. How long have you lived in your same home? Uh, we moved here in 2001. Wow. So almost 20 years, 19 years. Yeah. Yeah. We moved here to start the family. The kids are 16. So we, you know, we, we moved up here to get a, a, a bigger house, found the best, basically we're in the best school system in Georgia, which obviously you pay a little more for, but you know, we believe in public schools, So we moved here. 
Yeah, and that's part a, of the retirement. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say. I mean, I think part of our our you know what's next plan is once the kids get done with school here in you know a couple of years, the plan was to sell this the house we're in, downsize a bit, and some of that money, you know, obviously we'll we'll purchase something else or decide if we want to purchase or rent or really depending on where we want to be, if we want to get a townhouse or an in town condo, I, it, and it'll depend on where the kids are at school. Um, but that's part of the plan too, is to use some of the equity we have in the house to bridge until we start drawing out of retirement as well. So about five hundred thousand dollar house, hundred and thirty left ish, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you get a fifteen or a thirty year mortgage when you bought the house? Uh we initially bought got a thirty. We refied. I think we actually refied like a twelve year at one point. Honestly, I don't have that in front. Sorry, but yeah, I think it was like a, I think it was like a, a 12 year. We had worked with a mortgage company. It was fantastic. We really loved them. Rate was great. And so they kind of bounced around. You can do 10, you can do 15. And then she goes, well, what if we do a 12? And we're like, well, sure. Okay. So we can, that's kind of what we did. Um, and you know, we, we initially thought we'd really accelerate paying that off, but the interest rate is so low that we decided not to, you know, what are you we, we were basically 2.9 something or no, I'm sorry. So it's closer to like 2.63, I think. Wow, really low. Yeah, yeah. So it was. It didn't. You know, we just thought, well, we'll just keep putting the money uh, in the market the best we can instead of paying this off. I mean, I, I'm the kind of person. I think I would feel better if the house was paid off. I think that's a big kind of brain thing for me to know that that's done. But at this time, I, you know, we're just letting it ride. The the payments manageable and the interest rate so low, it just seems to make sense to just let that go. How did you know when to refinance it? Well, we had had a home equity loan. You know, a lot of mistakes. People usually make probably a little younger than we did, but we, you know, we we borrowed against the house, pay off, you know, sort of consolidate stuff uh, to do a couple of little improvements, and we we were, we were approached, I don't know, cold call, cold called maybe uh, by a mortgage company who said, hey, we can we can look at some options, uh, we can get your rate down. Uh, so we did that. Um, I think we rolled, you know, we just basically refied into maybe even another thirty. And then pretty quickly, they called us again and said, you know, if you go down to a 15 or a 10, we can get you down under three. Uh, and that's so that was sort of, yeah, well, why don't we do that? And so, you know, we, we they helped us with the calculations to figure out what the closing costs and the fees and everything else would be. And we were able to sort of extrapolate that out into what is it? Is it really worth doing, you know, to save this much a month or to save this much in interest? And it, it made it worth doing for us. Sure. So just to, the rate reduction. You mentioned your your wife works. Has she worked uh, your entire marriage outside the home? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So as you look back now, I mean, you're what a few years out from retirement? Five years? Ten yeah. years? Yeah, maybe ten. Yeah. Okay. So Ten-ish. so yeah, as you look back and and now you're a millionaire, one point three five, maybe a little bit more, right? If you count this house, this other house you mentioned, did you? Did you think you were going to get there? Did you have a goal to get to 1.5? Do you have a financial goal going forward? Well, I think um, as we found some of the, you know, some of the financial independence sort of, you know, groups, podcasts, everything else, it really lit a light to say, you know, here's this, the, you know, the safe withdrawal rate, right? I mean, so I think a lot of people start with that and you start to try to figure out what do you need to live on a year? And then you just, you know, you punch in the numbers to see what, what you need. I mean, we would have, you know, we'd be, we'd be comfortable with, uh, you know, two and a half, something like that. But we know we can probably dial that back a little bit and still live comfortably. So it really is going to depend. This year was a bump in the road with COVID and with job change and everything else. Uh, we don't know how much that's really going to set us back yet. But I, I think that, I think, you know, we work towards a, a definitive amount 
based on how much we would need to live on uh, a year. And then we rolled in selling the house and assuming we'd have a hundred, couple hundred grand out of that uh, cash to live on, basically, and then kind of work from there. Yeah. How do you how do you figure that out? I mean, you know how much you spend now and, you know, annually in household spending, but sometimes I think it's hard, right? Like to to sit there and think, okay, what am I going to spend in retirement? How much am I really going to travel if that's of interest, right? How much am I really going to go visit kids if that's something, if if kids live out of state or grandkids, right? I mean, how do you figure out, how how are you go about figuring out how much you think you'll spend in retirement? Well, I mean, we tracked, you know, the last several years of what we just, what we spend on, on the house, on utilities, on entertainment, on food. Uh, and we tried to extrapolate that out as far as just two of us doing that, you know, going forward. And then you, you figure in, you know, a vacation or two a year, a little bit of travel, some of that stuff. So you just, you know, you're, you're starting with a baseline of what you spend now. You take out maybe a mortgage or you take out, you know, what you're putting away for investment if you're going to not invest as much. Uh, and then you add in a couple of trips, you add in some fudge for, you know, are we going to have to help the kids here or there? Stuff like that. So it's really just a swag, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're sort of looking at it all. You want to pad it. Uh, you don't want to over pad it, but you definitely don't want to be left short. You know, I, nobody wants to go back to work at 70. I don't, I, I don't anyway. So that's kind of how we came up with that number. It's, it's in flux, I think, like anything. And, you know, you've got to figure in obviously what is what is inflation going to do, and you know what are taxes going to be. Like we were talking earlier, you don't know what taxes are going to be in in fifteen years, uh, and you don't know what the market's going to be in fifteen years. So it's just a swag, really. So what what is your annual household spending annually? <laughs> I should have known you were going to ask that. Give or take, uh, probably you know beyond the mortgage. I mean, I think we're probably at twenty twenty four. Oh wow! Twenty two, twenty four. Uh, oh, like I said, that that's a swag. I, I, you know, I mean, that's on that's on everything for kids, fees, travel, uh, yeah. you know, everything but the mortgage. A couple thousand. Uh, that may be way off. Like I said, that's that's my wife's department. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so looking back on your journey here, on is is there something that you can pinpoint and say, hey, that's what made me a millionaire? Was it hard um, work? Was it managing your career? Was it being afraid to not be able to provide? Are there a couple of things that really motivated you along the way? Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, once the kids came and we saw that we were just constantly in debt, constantly paying off credit cards that were 15% interest or something. And, you know, and the light really clicked that, you know, why are we, why are we doing this? This is ridiculous. We don't, you know, we, our income is good. Uh, you know, we were at about 200, 230K in income you know, for a while. And, and it just seemed silly that we were still borrowing money or running up credit card debt or doing some of that. So we, the, the light kind of clicked that, you know, we should be putting this money away. And, and, you know, we can still live a pretty high cost of living. You know, we can still do some of the things we want to do. It's not really going to have a huge impact on our life. We're, we're not the people who were, you know, going to eat beans and rice forever, just hoping that, you know, we would have a big nest egg at 70. But we decided to be kind of pragmatic and just say, we're going to, we're going to put this much money away to get to this much money by 60, right? And so it was pretty cut and dry. We just, we don't want to spend money on credit card or, you know, pay interest on, on debt. Uh, we want to just kind of know what we're spending. You know, we, we eat out a couple times a week. Uh, obviously COVID has changed. I, I think the, the math for everybody, uh, just, you just want to get sick of cooking, you know, cooking the same chicken three times a week. So probably eating out a little more than we did, but we're saving on gas and parking and, 
and some of the other stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the big trigger, I think, was once we understood we had too much debt, uh, we were doing stupid stuff like borrowing against the 401k uh, or not funding that, not even getting the match. I, I think it all, you know, you felt really stupid when it when it all came together and it was like, you know, hey, your, your company's going to match 100% of what you put in. It's pre-tax. You really, it really won't even impact your paycheck, you know, every two weeks that much. And you're putting this away. And it just really started to accelerate when we did that. Uh, and we saw those investments really start to grow pretty quickly. So, I mean, to that line, right, if you listen to Dave Ramsey, he calls it, he calls it all normal, right? He's like, that's normal, right? Whenever yeah, yeah. somebody exactly, comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you obviously felt it was. Do, do people know about your wealth or were people, were your friends, family, people in the neighborhood living the same way, you think? Well, like I said, we're in a pretty high cost of living area uh, north of Atlanta, pretty, very affluent suburb. I mean, every house that, that gets built around here is 1.6, 1.7 million kind of on average. Um, and so there's a lot of people with nice cars, probably high income, but I really, we don't really, you know, sit and discuss, Hey, are you in debt up to your ears? Are you, are you financing your lifestyle with a, with a buttload of cash? Uh, you know, we've got a couple neighbors who I know are extremely frugal and, you know, my, literally one of my neighbors, I think is probably the definition of the millionaire next door. I don't, I, I think he, I think they have high income. They don't spend money on much of anything. Uh, I think they're just putting it away. Um, and then we've got some other neighbors in the neighborhood that, you know, a new Mercedes every couple of years, big vacations, that sort of stuff. You know, if I had to compare the two, I would say the one driving the older Toyota, uh, not going on flashy vacations and, and stuff like that is probably the smarter guy that's more on tra- you know that family's probably more on track to actually be set for retirement than the other <laughs> yeah you bring up an interesting thing so y- you live in that area you don't discuss it but do you think that just in general being in that kind of environment pushes you to have some of that lifestyle creep maybe not you personally but just in general or have you seen that or did you oh, see that in your own household too yeah absolutely we see it we feel it i mean you know you're you're I think when the kids come, especially as they get into, you know, where our kids are now, they're 16, they're in high school. Uh, my son just, he could care less about anything materialistic or he's not really influenced by that stuff. My daughter, a little more, everything from fashion to whatever. But, you know, their friends are, are all, most of her friends have money. <clears throat> you know, their, their families have money. So you, you, you feel that pressure to, you know, to have the cool shoes and to have the car and to, have that stuff and your friends join the little local local country club which we did some years ago uh and you just figure well that three four hundred bucks a month that's worth it because we're doing whatever i mean you really start to feel that pressure uh and it's hard to tell your kids not to feel it when you're doing it yourself you're falling into the same thing and your friends say hey you know why don't we go spend uh spring break uh at universal studios and disney and you just feel like yeah sure okay that makes sense but then you look back and it's like was that really three grand with well spent so yeah i I think that lifestyle creep and that you know that pressure to sort of keep up with the joneses it's a big part of it and it's still even now even knowing the psychology and and the sort of trap you get in uh you still fall into it you still feel that pressure or i do so, you know, and, and that's a constant sort of, uh, I don't want to say friction or stress, but I mean, I, I do think about it and I am conscious of it that, you know, we have to be careful not to get caught up in it. Yeah, totally. Is there, I mean, do you regret being in that area or moving to that area? Would you do it differently if you, if you know, you're wine 15, 20 years? 
Uh, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I think if we had stayed where we were or or moved into an area, we actually looked at houses in a few different areas. And there were a couple of places we thought, well, the kids would be in private school if we're here. Uh, so a big part of it, you know, we believed in public schooling. And so we moved to an area with, you know, one of the best high schools or the best school systems in the state. Uh, you pay a little more for it. I never did the math to figure if it was if it would have been cheaper to buy a a less expensive house or a less expensive cost of living area and paid for private school. Or, you know, we just figured what we're paying here to stay in this high cost of living area or, you know, higher net worth area, whatever you want to call it. Is it worth it for the school we have? You know, and we don't regret it. We've made great friends. Uh, there's a lot of great people here. The schools are great. Uh, we've been able to be really involved uh, in, in school and local organizations. So, I, you know, I don't regret it. But, you know, we do have to be aware. And, and if I'd have known back then, I think I would have been a little more aware of the pressure. And that's something Dave Ramsey talks a lot about. You know, you don't have to live like your neighbors. You don't have to front. The people who look like millionaires probably aren't. The people driving the old Toyota Corolla probably are. And I, I do think there is some truth to that, especially when you get into an area where we live. Yeah. Is there anything looking back just with experiences or things that you wish you would have spent more money on that maybe you didn't? Other than investing, no, I think we would have been, I think we would have gotten more out of things we did spend money on, like vacations. I think, you know, instead of a, a couple trips to Disney and Universal, I think we would have done a little more travel that was interesting. And I don't want to say educational, but at least, you know, our trip to New we took a trip to New York a few years ago and we actually rented a, uh, a walk up in a neighborhood. We just wanted the kids to see kind of what that would be like to, if you were actually living in an apartment in New York. Uh, and we did the same thing. We we took a week and went to Washington D.C. We rented, you know, we went on VRBO and we rented a uh, an apartment on Capitol Hill. And so I, I think it was a much more immersive experience to spend the money, see those sites, and do that stuff than it was say, oh, let's go to Disney and and get caught in that trap. And we enjoyed Disney and Universal. And uh, but for that same money, I think we got a lot more out of traveling sort of as a local in these areas. And, I, and you know, and so now we enjoy visiting national parks, going on hikes, being outside. I, I, so I think, you know, shifting to that and really understanding what the kids wanted to do and letting them see the value in that. I, I, I think now when we spend our money and stuff like that, we're a little smarter about it. I don't regret going to Disney or doing Universal, but I, I, I think now. we would have just, yeah, I, I think we would have probably gotten as much out of, hey, let's go see LA and Seattle and Chicago you know uh, right right so so now looking back and where you're at 1.35 1.5 or around there has getting to that point and, and getting rid of this debt has it affected your happiness levels or your confidence levels and, and is there a point where you reached financially where that kind of stagnated or capped out i, I will say i'm i'm pretty much a pessimistic person <laughs> it's not it's not a great worldview but um <laughs> it, it, it is what it is so so this year uh obviously i i left uh, uh left my job last august so i'm you know, i'm about a year uh since i've you know worked for for much income but having that money and, and i i think it had you know when i logged on a few weeks ago just to look at our net worth i, I think it really did help settle me i was feeling very anxious and very stressed about you know, what the next year was going to look like, you know, with, with employment challenges right now, with COVID, with everything else, everything's in such flux. I, I think it was really settling for me to look at and just see, I mean, that net worth is, you know, that ha having, you know, almost a million dollars in investments 
it, it feels surreal in a way, right? Because it's it feels like it's not real money. It's sitting there waiting on something else. Right, um, right. But you know, we still we have a chunk in savings that we can live off of, uh, and we have options. But having those options and and being able to say, you know what, this you know the year I've spent away from work has been rewarding. And, and it's been a luxury really to do it. I, you know, I don't feel like I got to run down to Home Depot and, and, you know, stock shelves just to keep some income going. So in that front, yeah, it's been very settling to know that that's there. And then to look at your net worth, it makes you, excuse me, it definitely makes you feel a little, a little more settled. Uh, you know, we, we may have hit a bump in the road this year. Our invest, investing has slowed a little bit, uh, because we just, we needed the income. My wife took a big pay cut, uh, because her organization, was in flux. They got rid of over half their workforce. Uh, she was lucky that her job was saved. But with all of that change, the fact that we do have some cushion, it, it's definitely helpful. I mean, I couldn't imagine if we were where we are now, if, if COVID had hit and we really didn't have a lot in the bank and we couldn't cover the mortgage for a couple of years with just what we have saved. Yeah, I, I would feel I, I'd be in full blown panic, I think. Okay. So so let's just wrap up here, Ron, with some rapid fire questions. Uh, what's been the most expensive car you've ever purchased? A few years ago, I bought a, a brand new Jeep Wrangler. I liked having a, a convertible. So, <laughs> and the kids, I'd ridden motorcycles for years and it sort of share that convertible experience with the family. So I bought a, I don't know, $45,000 Jeep Wrangler. Okay. What about most expensive shoes? I spend money on shoes. Well, I spend decent on shoes. I, I love Allen Edmonds shoes because they last forever. So I would say probably 250 bucks on a pair of Allen Edmonds boots that I wear every day. Okay. A most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? Uh, Vegas, uh, on an anniversary trip, we probably spent about 500 bucks for me and the wife. Okay. What items or experiences are worth spending more money on to you and, and what's not worth the money? Material wise, there's not a lot that I, I that I just think I've got to spend money on. I, I think we have really figured out that happiness, that our happiness or our satisfaction comes from experiences more than buying stuff. So we, you know, small little bits of travel when we can run up and rent a cabin for a couple of days and just have family time. I think that's where we like to spend our money. How old were you when you became a millionaire? Oh, probably late 40s. I would say 48, 47, 40. Uh, well, probably not. Well, I'll be 48, 49. I wasn't really tracking it every day, so I can't really tell you when that actually tipped over. Any books or news outlets or websites that have been influential to you? I know you mentioned Dave Ramsey. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, Dave Ramsey helped us kind of get set. We liked him for the really basic stuff. Past that, we didn't feel like we got as much out of him. You know, as we got into, you know, I found Mr. Money Mustache, like a lot of people. And really the whole fire movement, uh, we felt like we were a little old for the, <laughs> for the fire movement. I mean, you know, we can still do it obviously, but I, I think that's really, <laughs> I mean, for my sake, I mean, if I had found that when I was in my late twenties, early thirties, it'd be a yeah. whole other world. Right. Yeah, and I so I, I would think if people are, you know, if you're under 40 or you're under 35, I, I think tag on to that. So books like Millionaire Next Door. Uh, your money or your life, simple path to wealth. Some of the some of the books that you'll see a lot of these this FI community tout, they tout those books. I think for a good reason. Sure. Uh, I think if nothing else, they might just be a little inspirational kick in the pants to just say, you know, God, I'm being stupid. Why, why am I spending all this money on garbage I don't need? Yeah, yeah. So as much as you're comfortable sharing here, what's been your range of household income through your working life? For us, uh, you know, for early on, we were both. Probably met, you know, I would say in the late nineties or when we bought this house in 2001, we were probably both making around 80, 
And that got up to, you know, around the $225,000, $230,000 income. Both of us making about $115,000, dollars something in that area. This year, it dropped down to just yeah. about eighty-five. <laughs> yeah. So just la- last question here. As you look back, what does it mean to be happy and fulfilled? You mentioned time with family and, and has money brought that along the way? We talked about that a little bit, but just what does it mean to be happy and fulfilled and any last words of advice here? Uh, I think coming to grips with the fact that that stuff doesn't equal happiness, you know, buying an expensive car, that was kind of fun. It was sort of a interesting dalliance, but you know, we figured out after a couple of years, this thing's so expensive. It's, so, it's just dumb. We, we can, we can do a lot of this stuff in other ways. You know, we can find ways that we're connected together. So, and, and this year during COVID, obviously, you know, we probably had enough family for, <laughs> for the rest of our lives all trapped in this house. But I, I think just finding ways to experience, uh, spending time together. It took us, it took us a little while to find our groove and we figured out, you know, hiking in the woods or walking around a city was really what was a great shared experience for our family. And that's what we like to do. We don't have to necessarily be entertained all the time with something manufactured. We can kind of find our own way. So that's where we are. We, we just like to do simple things that really bring us together. Yeah. Well, awesome, Ron. Thanks again for coming on. Net worth of 1.35, maybe a little bit more than that, right, with this house. So thanks again for sharing your story. Congrats on your success. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks a ton. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.